This episode of the Managing Madrid podcast is brought to you by Hotel Rio Plaza, New York Times Square. Uh, the 29 floors of the Rio Plaza, New York Times Square Hotel stand out because of their cutting edge and elegant design. And there are more than 600 rooms perfectly equipped with a mini fridge, desk, television, other things. Pretty much everything you need. Um, amazing restaurant, amazing bar. It's located right in New York Times Square in the heart of the city. Um, just a stone's throw away from Central Park, Rockefeller Center, Empire State Building, Carnegie Hall, the luxury stores on Fifth Avenue. Seriously, this place is actually amazing. I can I can testify to this because they hooked us up during our stay in New York. And really, it was like a spectacular, spectacular stay. And they really, really treated us well. But also, like, the Wi-Fi was incredible. Like, it was like changing channels. Service was great. Food was included. Um, and the location is great. So if you want a classy place to stay in New York... Um, I know a lot of you travel to New York regularly. Make sure to stay at Ryu. That's riu.com, where you go to book. And without further ado, this is the Managing Madrid podcast with myself, Kian Sobani, and Matt Wilsey. Let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. So he Hello and welcome to a Friday edition of the Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Kian Sobani, and joining me to talk all things Real Madrid is Matt Wiltsy. Matt, how you doing? Kian, doing well. It's a Friday afternoon. How, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I, uh, I've i had a chance to take uh, a couple of days off from the Managing Madrid podcast. Obviously, the post-game show that never was against Fenerbahce basically brought forward to today which will lump together with some other things i think matt like you and i were discussing this off air um the most interesting thing that we can talk about right now is van de beek and how he'll fit at real madrid um given that he's relatively close to being signed officially and um i i think the listeners will be interested about that most like most more than anything else we'll talk about it today um I think we'll we'll save it. We'll put it on the back burner for a second and talk about the game first. I think it's kind of like, I don't know, it's like when you're in school and you're really looking forward to gym class, but you have to sit through math class first. And it's, it's, <laughs> So our listeners will have to sit through some discussion about the game against Fenerbahce. Before we dive into some Van de Beek stuff and talk about how we'll fit and why this signing is, uh, is in- interesting for Zidane. So Fenerbahce, um, a 5-3 victory. Another goal fest, another bad defensive performance. What were your thoughts on this game? Yeah, um, so in in this game, I thought the first thing that kind of caught my eye and one thing I was looking for immediately after we had played just the day before. And so the first thing I wanted to see was kind of if we could see any tactical patterns from both games and anything that Zidane is trying to do, because it's been it's hard to hard to see anything lately. But one thing I noticed is that Zidane has been pretty insistent upon the team just pressing, but it's so disorganized. Mm-hmm. Um, and like one one player, Isco will go, and then nobody will follow with him. So of course, of course, your press isn't going to work. And I just felt like 
Yeah, I can understand pressing maybe in the first 10 to 15 minutes of each half and maybe the last 10 to 15 minutes of each half. But there were so many times where it was just needless pressing. And I felt the team really needs to pick and choose their moments. Not even Liverpool, who are known for their insane pressing game, press for the full 90 minutes. And I think, um, yeah, we saw moments where the team kind of picked and choose. But I still think there needs it needs to be more conscious. I feel like um, right now it's the players aren't connected there's no chemistry um they're they're not aligned with that press and that's something that it 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 does take a lot of work because i've i've been a part of teams where you you try to instill that philosophy and it doesn't always click it it, it's a habit that needs to it takes time to kind of ferment and to actually grow into the team and i think one great great quote that i was told by a coach once was um run five yards now so you don't have to run 50 yards later. Mm. And it's so true. And I remember thinking, like, always hearing that kind of in the back of my head while we were doing this pressing, um, implementing this pressing game. And so think about if you're, for instance, if if you're a fullback and maybe you just cleared cleared the ball um, out and the the back line's pressing up, pushing forward to try and uh, get the team upfield, and you see that your wingers now – going kind of further back to his fullback to try and retrieve the ball. If you run five yards now, even though you're exhausted, you just worked worked your tail off to try and clear the ball. And uh, if you've run five yards then to get to him, to close him down, force him back instead of allowing him to turn and maybe put a ball over the top, if he can put that, if he has time to turn and put the ball over the top, then then you're sprinting again and you're running 50 yards. So that always stuck with me. And I think it's really true of pressing teams. And and that's that's how I see Real Madrid right now. They just it's so disjointed, and people are late pressing that one. It's so easy to turn and then play through the whole press, and then the whole team sprinting back. Well, that's I've never heard that quote before, obviously because it's unique to someone that you've worked with. But um, it's it's interesting, and also like you see the dominoes of not being able to press and the extra running you have to do just throughout the years of transition defending and running back and pa- backpedaling and. Um, Varane saving Real Madrid on the counterattack. So I think the press under Zidane over the past few years has been quite fascinating in that it's been so volatile and up and down. And he can go months without implementing it at all and then bring it out for a game. And it's not it's not really great. You know, like we've seen, I mean, 16-17, even that season that Real Madrid won, there were a lot of examples of this where one player was late or Marcelo would rotate way late or too early and there would be a p- bunch of space behind him and without proper cover. And so the way they picked and chose their spots really was illogical at so many levels during that entire season, even though they won the league. Um, this game against Fenerbahce was like, basically Fenerbahce could play through Real Madrid's defense with one or two passes and get to the final third, which whenever you see examples of like, it's like that's when you realize you have defensive holes and tactical problems. Um, Now, mind you, implementing a press in preseason is difficult, maybe for Real Madrid more so than other teams. Um, Like, for example, I thought Tottenham did it really well. Um, But Tottenham have also this, I guess, luxury of that team has been playing together for a while and Real Madrid have been shuffling it, face new faces in and out of the lineup constantly. Youth players, um, veteran players, but also fringe players. So like 
um, Castilla players. So like it's probably hard to get into any kind of real rhythm unless you have that identity ingrained into you, and in which Real Madrid don't um, at this point of their their life. But it is a worrying sign, I guess. I think one of the things I took away from this game, um, apart from a very loose press and Kaler coming up big on a few occasions was that this, you know, and this could have been like 5-5, five, five, could have been like 6-5, could have been like 7-7. Seven, seven. Uh, I don't even think that was an exaggeration. And like you, I was yeah. amazed actually when I looked at the stats and I think Fenerbahce only had eight shots on goal. It seemed like a lot, maybe because the quality of their chances was pretty damn good. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Real Madrid's also defending on the flanks wasn't, wasn't, wasn't good. Um, not only vertical passes would break them, but also just a cross-field sh- uh, switch, like the entire defensive collapse, and you saw that in the second goal. Um, but even offensively, I think apart from before Fenerbahce opened up, and we have to keep that in mind, like pretty well all of Real Madrid's second-half goals were just Fenerbahce just didn't defend on any of them, and that's not going to happen at the elite level. And this was the worst opponent we've faced so far in the preseason. But before they opened up in the second half, really Vinicius's dribbling was the only thing that was capable of breaking anything, um, any any of the lines that Fenerbahce had set up. And Hazard, like to me, out of all games, this one was the most visible that he's just not in shape yet. Yeah, we, and I think, I mean, with Vinicius, we still haven't seen him kind of hit the. Um, form and obviously it's preseason but he hasn't hit that form that we um, fell in love with Uh, he was just one of the players of the seasons last last season and uh, we haven't seen him there's been flashes but we haven't seen it fully I I completely agree with you on Hazard Um, again there's another guy you see flashes of it but it's it's clear he's not um, operating at his best level yet so yeah those are and it it's tough because it's hard like you said um, Fenerbahce weren't the, they're the sixth best team in Turkey. Like this isn't, yeah. this wasn't a quality rival that we were going against. So even that, and I think that's what kind of concerning even more because of just so many defensive lapses. And I think Odria, we the other pod we talked about how Carvajal's spot may be up for grabs, but um, Odria Zola obviously coming back from injury last season um, definitely looks rusty. I mean, I think he's really struggled since coming back. Uh, far too many defensive lapses. I just I, I I feel like this could be a really this is this is a huge year for him. I, I, it's really important, and obviously, again, I preface everything by saying it's preseason, but he has not looked good. No, especially defensively, and like one of the things that uh, you could see about Odrizola last year was that he could make up for being out of position defensively with his speed, but it's you know to rely on that asset is a bit kind of. It's a bit yeah. tricky. I mean, like we see that with Atraf, where he can recover somehow in some way, even when he has no cover, just like by pure speed alone, he can just catch up to somebody. Um, but even just like his one-on-one defensive abilities, I would say are, are better than Odriozola. So like he also has that going for him. With like Odriozola, that part does worry me a bit. Where it doesn't, it doesn't worry me with Carvajal. Like he's reliable defensively usually when, even when he's not playing well offensively. Um. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what what else what else did you have from this game? Anything? Yeah, I, th- I think the only thing I want to uh, 
other thing you want to com- comment on is uh, Mariano. I thought mm. he came into that match with such a hunger, such a drive. And um, I mean, people always like, I mean, I've been seeing that people are just complaining, oh, Mariano should leave. We need to give this number seven to Hazard. And honestly, if, if that's the way he's going to play every game with that type of hunger and that type of drive, then he's a worthy number seven. I mean, um, that's that's what it's all about. Juanito is the one that created created the seven and that's that was his whole thing and so um i loved it i loved what we saw from him obviously got a couple goals looked really good and just um that's what we've been a bit of that is what we've been lacking and yeah um i i mean i hope to see more of him i want to see more of mariano in the next few matches well not only um was he hungry did he look hungry but also he had a certain dynamism to him that really helped the offense and i think like his energy but also like his like his shot from outside the box, for example, that led to I think the Nacho rebound, the really great shot from outside the box, and then you could just see his hunger and like his energy just kind of contagious all over the pitch. And I mean, I, I don't know if that is enough of a tryout that will catch Zidane's eye or not, or Zidane's mind is already made that you know I'll have Jovic and Benzema, and then beyond that probably a false nine and shift things around a bit, put Hazard up there sometimes, put Vinicius up there. Uh, maybe once a year put Bale in the lineup. But like there isn't I don't know if that is enough for Zidane to keep Mariano around um or not. But the other thing I wanted to I guess I'm glad you brought up Mariano. Um I guess the other interesting thing is that Lunin came in this game. Uh I'm glad I didn't come across any slander on the goal, but maybe I just cause I maybe I didn't um, look look hard enough but that that wasn't his fault right like he, no. he stretched that out as best as he possibly could yeah no I, I didn't see any slander either I didn't I didn't think that was his fault I thought if anything um, he had to deal with a couple difficult back passes that he dealt with really well very calmly and then yeah he, he also had that huge save on that late corner kick um, mm. where, where he came off really aggressive off his line and looked like um Fenerbahce were going to score another, but he he was off his line really quick, and uh, that was that was impressive. Um, Van de Beek. I've I've had some time to process this, and I have a lot in my mind about this. Um, you 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 posted the latest update on managing Madridans that he confirmed publicly that Real Madrid are interested in him. It seems like a, a deal may may get struck in. Um, I mean, who knows? It could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be a week. Um, what are your initial thoughts with signing him? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm interested to hear your thoughts because I've kind of bounced around on this. Um, I when I watched, and I, I'm one of those people who only really saw the last six months of him where he was in great form, and I was impressed. I liked what I saw, but I never. I don't know that. I mean, you think about Danny Ceballos. You think about um, Martin Odegaard. I mean, Odegaard was if if um, Van de Beek's quality is enough going from Ajax to Real Madrid, then it's certainly the same for Odegaard. Um, obviously, they're slightly different profiles of players, but I just I don't know. I don't know that he's that much of an upgrade, and I think the some of the frustrations from fans this transfer window is that yeah we signed all these players but how many of them are really going to make the starting 11 is it only hazard 
And I think that's the frustration. And I, I do think, obviously, the club's still pursuing Pogba. And I don't think Van de Beek um, impacts that signing. I think it's yeah, me neither. It's not one or the other. I think it's, it's probably they're going for both. I agree. Um, um, but, yeah, I think I try to think about kind of the profile. And, and we've talked about this before, Kian. And I think Zidane's clearly looking for a profile. And this is a guy who contributed to 30 goals in all competitions last season between his goals and assists. And so he's very productive from midfield. Um, I think of it, obviously, he's got the versatility to play kind of deeper. He can play almost any of those three central midfield roles. But I think of him more as a um, Aaron Ramsey type who can make the late run into the box, score goals, very composed inside the box. Um, even to make a Dutch counterpart, maybe Raphael van der Vaart. Like, that's kind of how I, I view him. Um, and depending on the on the systems Adon play, like, I wouldn't see him in a 4-4-2 as a central midfielder. I would see him kind of maybe alongside uh, the striker. Or if we're playing a 4-1-1, he's that one behind the striker. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think he's good. I think he's a good player. I just – sometimes it's, like, a little bit frustrating because – yeah, you sh- is he that much better than Hamas? Is he that much better than Isco? Is he that much better than Ceballos? Is he even better than those guys? But I sometimes I feel like you can't think about it in that way. Maybe you just have to think about it in the profile. And I think Zidane's looking for a profile of production from midfield. Yeah, that that's key. That last point is the production from midfield, offensive production. Um, I think I agree with you about the Pogba thing. I think they're two completely different players. As long as Zidane sees it that way, which I'm sure he does, it's that they fit two different needs. Pogba, no question, is a bit of a deeper player, and Van de Beek is, is an entirely different profile, and is he kind of makes his craft in the final third. So I think what's most interesting about Van de Beek is that he fits this kind of mysterious role that we've been talking about in the last couple of years, that an infamous number 10, which quote-unquote is dying in this day and age. Um. He made it work in a, in a genius system that Ten Hag had, had him play there in a very cohesive system, which we haven't seen him um, outside of that system yet. Um, I have full confidence that he would do well regardless because I think he's a brilliant player, and I think he was... We saw up close like the damage he did against us. Um, it's funny, like you mentioned at the top of the show, uh, you know, teams don't really press from minute one to 90, if I ever saw an example to be an exception to that rule was Ajax against us, um, especially in that first leg where it was just relentless. And Van de Beek is tremendous off the ball. He, you know, he won't drop deep to defend. He'll only drop deep like you know if he was showing his outlet for De Jong or something. But uh, just his ability to win the possession and ball retentions. Like I was looking up his numbers: um, 5.2 recoveries per 93 interceptions per game. Like he's clearly. The idea that Real Madrid need help um, winning the ball in the final third and kind of gutting their uh, loose press, like he fits that profile for sure. I think but what's interesting is that he plays this role that is this kind of 10 role. I, you know, if he's on the flanks, you know, we already have so many players there. Um, he plays this role that I think Zidane basically had Isco playing in 16-17, that diamond. Because he's can, he's a very um, good player off the ball. He can show us an outlet. He can b- 
basically just be a piercing player in the final third. Like I think one of the things Statsbomb had released uh, one of those spider charts, you know, yeah, uh, about his season, and he has nine point eight touches in the box per game. Like so, like while he's not a prolific shooter and he's not a prolific goal scorer, but he gets into such good position position positions inside the box. Um, and his XG off of shots is very high. So he won't, himself in a vacuum, won't generate a bunch of shots in his own. But his own shots, when he does get them, will be high percentage, and he can create like crazy. He doesn't lose the ball. He's in the elite category of um, of limiting his turnovers. He's His crossing percentage into the box is very high. Um, his passing accuracy hovers around 83%, which is pretty good. Um, it's not like elite, elite, but it's good. So he fits in actually a very interesting profile. And again, we saw firsthand the damage he did against us, but also, like I would say, he's one of Ajax's unsung heroes tr- towards their like tremendous run that they had. But again, like it's interesting to me because then it, for me, it asks a different question. If this is what Zidane wants, has he lost faith in someone like Isco? Or has he lost faith in, or like that, all the wing depth we have? Is he not that high on that wing depth where he can say, I I kind of want Hazard and Van de Beek to play together with, you know, Benzema, and then that leaves one more spot, assuming he plays a double pivot. And if he does play double pivot, again, I don't know, still don't really know what that means for Casemiro, Modric, Cruz. And if Pogba comes, like, who is the odd man out there? And if we do get Van de Beek, it, I also question, like, where Isco, where Isco's role is going to be is it going to be off the bench um there's a bunch of dominoes that come with a signing like this so do you think a signing like van de beek is slotted into the starting 11 yeah i think so i he, i i don't think you signed some because the reported price is like a 60 to 70 million i believe yeah, it's too so... good for a bench role then again like half our squad is yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah, I mean that that's interesting because for me, I don't I don't know I don't I don't know that he slots automatically into the starting, especially if we get Pogba. Um, yeah, it it's tough because like you would think the same thing about Jovic. Um, even Mendy for a defender is probably one of the most expensive defender. We don't know what yeah. Zidane's thinking, but it looks like he, regardless of the injury, he probably would have started Marcelo, and so. Yeah, I mean that, that, and that's that's one thing I'll ask you, Keon, is we've seen so far from Zidane that he's kind of sticking with the old guard. We really haven't seen that much fresh faces in terms of um, starting lineups and things like that. He has tried it out a little bit, but it's been one-offs, like maybe Rodrigo playing at left mid or something like that. So, what has been your what, what what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean that's like it, it's a good point that you know. Mendy and Jovic, for example, are starting players really in, in virtually almost any club in the world. Um, someone like Van de Beek, I'd be curious to know what the appeal for him is to come to Real Madrid and come off the bench. And also, keep in mind, coming off the bench at Real Madrid is a lot different than coming off the bench in another club because in other clubs, coming off the bench could be you're, you're just the 12th man. In Real Madrid, there's so many other subs you'd be competing with that, yeah. which is not necessarily a bad thing. But like, you know, who else thinks that they're, they're the twelfth men? Mendy, Jovic, uh, Rodrigo, possibly Vinicius, possibly yeah. Isco, possibly Modric, 
possibly Casemiro. I mean, I don't. There's like there's like a bunch of people that could come off the bench, uh, depending on what Zidane needs in a certain game. And for sure, like if Vendy becomes, I think James is gone. Like I, I think like if a few yeah. days ago, if we thought maybe James is leaning towards staying, I, th- I don't see where he fits anymore with Van de Beek. Because um, I don't see, I haven't seen anything linking Isco away, which probably means James will end up somewhere. I still don't know exactly where. I, it, and that's the other thing. This is like we're getting it, we're cutting it so close now to the transfer <laughs> deadline that I, it's hard for me to envision where any of these players will go. That's the other thing. Um, with the, with also like just the, a quick bail update, it's like, where is he going to go? Probably now it's looking more and more likely that there are going to be no suitors for him, which means that I think we just accept, like, we we always ask, okay, so what if Bale stays? What happens? Is he, does he play? I think at this point we could just say if Bale stays, we just don't see much of him. And so, like, you almost kind of disregard him. I don't know if that's exactly going to be the case, but that is that is probably the most plausible option at this point. So, so I'll say this, man. I think Van de Beek in a vacuum is, like, an amazing player. I think he has the potential to be one of the best in this position in the world. Um, he is really amazing at his craft. Um, I just, I'm still a little bit confused and perplexed as to, like people ask like, why, why don't we just keep Ceballos? I think like, I think there are two different players. I get that, but but it's definitely a direct competition with Isco and James for sure. And it's also, um, the other thing is Matt, like to your point, if you don't think he's going to start, what doesn't it mean just like a year from now he's going to be wanting playing time the way Ceballos, you know, does? He wants 40 games a year, you know? Yeah. How many, and then the question becomes, how many young players do you want to cycle through? And I think, and then the other question is, if the reported price, we're seeing anywhere from, let's say, 60 to 70 million, if Christian Eriksen's 80 million is it worth just playing 10 more 10 more million for that or is the upside with van de beek at 22 years old um more more attractive and but Hmm. with erickson it's almost you know what you're getting and it's a guy that's been um just bringing production in the premier league for years yeah um and so i mean i think that's another question if you could have christian erickson and paul pogba then that's, along with Eden Hazard, you've had three of the biggest stars in the Premier League just rejuvenate your team, and so um, I mean that's that that's the other question. But it's like you said, Van de Beek has come out and said Real Madrid is interested in me. So this isn't just this isn't us just kind of theorizing. No. Yeah, yeah. No, real. it's very yeah. rare that we dedicate this much time to a transfer rumor. Yeah, uh, unless you really think it's a, it's it's close. So I. Um, you know, another way of looking at this is just like Zidane still hasn't had entirely the longevity of of building an entire era with him, his own vision. I know that sounds crazy because he won three Champions League titles, but he inherited a squad. Um, he had the luxury of having two of the greatest players of all time in their peak in in. Uh, in Ronaldo and Modric, and also very peak Marcelo, who is also a generational player, um, and a bunch of other places, uh, pieces in their prime. Kroos go down the list. Ramos, Faran. Um, so now he's at a stage where these players are not at their peak anymore. A couple of them have moved on, um, 
and he also has inherited a squad that a lot of them, a lot of it was built without him. You know, like Vinicius, Rodrigo, uh, um, Brahim, Ceballos is a player he never really wanted. So, part of me like gets like there's a there's an alternate version of this if we just see this play out for like a year or two. And let him just build a squad that we can't even envision or see or uh, are quite comprehend because we're so high on all these players that he doesn't rate. Yeah. Um, so then, like you fast forward, let's say if I and I think this is in in some ways, Matt. I think this is like an unthinkable scenario because this is a very impatient club. But let's say we get like two years of like confusing transfers, but like in the end of it, like two years from now, our starting lineup consists of like Pogba, Van de Beek, Hazard, um, whoever, um, with like good depth with the, exactly the players he wants, you know, this squad could look completely different like two, three years from now if, if he gets his, if he gets his wish. Um, I think the part of the problem is that, you know, just that, that he wants to build the squad and his vision and his rating of certain players is much different than ours. And then, what what we see as an insane depth chart that's going to cause problems, he probably does see it that way too. But he he rates the depth differently, and he wants his own players that fits his own his own mold and his own vision. Yeah, I think that's why we're getting stuck with some of these guys like James and Bale, and we can't find a place. One thing I was thinking about with Bale, um, <laughs> which would be a either way, if he stays or if he goes, he should start next season by just doing like. If he goes, I think this would be a nice little parting shot to the Spanish media. I think he should do just a full exclusive interview in 100% Spanish. <laughs> that would be great because it would just be like a, a great exit. And uh, we do know that he does speak Spanish. That, yeah. that just uh, for some reason, you know, obviously he's an introvert and not language barrier isn't as big as we think. But, um, you know, if... I I just know that for sure Zidane wants no part of the constant, yeah. constant, constant, constant questions in every post-match, pre-match training session about where's Bale, what is he doing? Um, it's Bale or Kubo. That's the two questions. Bale or Kubo. Are, like, trust me, like if it's not even going to just be Bale. If you, when you have a depth chart like this and, play, and it's going to be questions from about every player who's not playing. Um, yeah. maybe lucky for him although this is you know depends on how how you want to view this and where you're from and how, how much you care about these things um, to his maybe luck is that he doesn't really have many Spanish players left on the bench so that Spanish press can complain about yeah. uh, he's gotten rid of virtually all of them actually he has gotten rid of all of them unless you basically qualify Isco as as someone who's going to come off the bench this year um, in which case we've already seen that story with Solari to see what that's like, and that's not fun <laughs> either. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, any other Van de Beek thoughts? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think so. Okay, um, we're gonna take some Patreon questions. Patreon.com/slash/managingmadrid is where you go to pledge. Um, I know a couple of you have asked questions about the women's team, which we're just gonna bring forward to the women's team segment, which will be recorded regularly this season um, and Gabe and Jess are kind of spearheading that but um, you know we're, we're going to be covering the women's team quite regularly this year so um, we're very proud of that and uh, and also Matt we're going to be covering Juvenil A, Juvenil B because we have Christopher McCormick who just joined the, the team so um, we have a lot of extended coverage this season so 
First patron question is from Ross Cabrera. He says, with the news that Brahim is likely to stay at Madrid this season and play on the right, <laughs> is it possible he has a higher upside than Asensio? I asked this as a pre and post injury Asensio. I I just laugh reading this because like that's just another player to think about. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean I've said pretty consistently that I think Brahim will stay. Um I think Zidane really, really likes him. Uh, I really like I I loved everything I saw from him last year, especially yeah. how ambidextrous he is. I mean, I love that. I think that's so underrated when a player has that ability. Um, and so, yeah, no, I think he is huge upside. I mean, he's so young. He he looks great. We just the sample size is really small right now, so you just want to see more of him. If you, what well, I agree, I I I liked everything I saw from Brahim uh, towards the end of last season. And uh, I think he's going to be a really good player. I think he's going to also be really good defensively, which we don't talk about much. Uh, who has the higher upside? It, the answer has to be Asensio because we've seen the height of Asensio, which was 17, 18, and the beginning, or sorry, 16, 17, my bad. Uh, and then the beginning of, 18, of 17, 18, where he was kind of carrying the team a little bit when the team was struggling scoring, when Ronaldo missed those games due to suspension and also in the Super Cup, that was his height. We haven't seen anything like that from Brahim yet, where he's just like shooting from 40 yards and scoring them like their penalties and foul shots or something. Um, and his in his pace and his, and his big games that he showed up in, whether it was against Bayern, Ajax first leg, Champions League final, Barcelona, like he's showed up in so many big games. It's true that we haven't seen that version of Asensio much lately, if at all. Um, and it's unfortunate his injury came at a time where he looked like he was getting a bit of a, uh, a little bit of his mojo back against, was it Bayern he got injured or Arsenal? I can't remember. Uh, or was Arsenal. it neither? Arsenal? Yeah. Okay. Um, that height that Asensio reached to me is a height that, is like a future Ballon d'Or candidate. So, like, if you're talking about pre-injury Asensio and and kind of rewinding it a year or two, the Asensio's upside is higher. Um, Leon Savernakis says, "Can't believe Barca lost a talent like Kubo over what is essentially spare pocket change in the world of big time global football. Possibly a massive mistake that they will regret for a long time." Agreed. Yeah. (laughs) More of a comment than a question, but um, uh, yeah, I don't know what they were thinking. There was that whole thing where they didn't realize when his contract was going to end, but then also they did have the chance, which, um, you know, that they just felt like all the money that his, you know, the agent fees and everything, that it wasn't worth it. I don't think everyone on the Barcelona board felt that way. Um, And a lot of them are kicking themselves now. There's no question and they will be, but it's it'll turn out to be pennies if it hasn't already so uh Kian, i i mean i know i think you said it on one of the last pods and you tweeted it out i rodrigo and kubo are both too good for castilla so yeah. um i mean zidane's kind of already insinuated that kubo will play with castilla but i, I hope it's not more more than six months because he's he's just far too good for that level at least from what it looks like from he what we've is seen. Part of the part of the issue is also I think if um, if we're just looking at the logistics of it, it's it's uh, has to do with some of the non EU spots yeah, too. Right? Yeah, so yeah. Um, I don't think we have an update yet over Valverde's 
application to become an EU citizen. Um, August 9th, I think I saw is his like deadline day. That's the deadline day. Yeah. So by then we'll know if it goes through in time or not. But um, if it, if it doesn't, then Kubo is definitely going to be with Castilla, but it's kind of, it's not the worst thing. So we could have also sent him on loan, but if he is um, going to be staying with Castilla, he's also not, not far away to be called up. Right. So, yeah. And people think like, you know, it's only injuries and stuff that he'll be called up like Vinicius situation. But um, it's also other things like, you know, Copa del Rey games. Uh, you know, if we're up like a few goals in the Champions League, he can come off the bench in the Champions League. So he's still a stone's throw away from a call up, which is uh, which is handy. Anthony Armesto says, I'm not sure how many times this topic has been brought up or if it's even been brought up. Why did we bring in Courtois when Navas has been lights out for us for over the past four and a half years? Do you think with Courtois' injury that it, it betters Navas's chances of being our starter for the remainder of the campaign? In my opinion, Kaylor is a top five goalkeeper, if not number one. Halamari. Your opinion is probably the same as uh, Mauricio Pochettino's. And uh, yeah, I mean, if Zidane was still coach, we probably would never have bought Thibaut Courtois. And what was he, Pochettino's he, opinion about this? Uh, after the game against uh, Tottenham, he came out saying that he thinks Kaylor is one of the best goalkeepers in the world. Oh, and okay. I didn't see that. He uh, made some incredible saves in that game. Um. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, and if Zidane wasn't wasn't <laughs> if Zidane never left, I don't think Courtois would have ever arrived because that was his opinion as well. I mean, he defended and fought for Navas for so many years because, for whatever reason, the club always felt that they could replace him. And um, I, I mean, I I've got flip flopped on my feelings for Navas. I mean, everybody loves him as a person, but I've always felt like maybe there we could have an upgrade there. Um, when De Gea was in his prime, I wanted, I would have loved to have De Gea, but Navas has been a great servant to the club. I, I can't complain, and he's looked good in preseason, but so has Courtois, and apparently Courtois is already back training, so I don't know that um, it's anything where Navas can really knock him off because of that. Yeah, Courtois is back. Um, I mean, the, it's a it's an interesting question. I think, and we always like when we answer this because this question comes up quite a bit. Um, and we always circle back to the idea, like, how great is it to have two world-class keepers in a position that our that our backup was always Kiko Casilla for for so long, and you could see the drop off when that happened. Yeah. And with with Kaylor, like, you know, it's true. He's never. It's not like he's ever costed us anything, um, or even his rare mistakes have they ever, you know, cost three hundred titles? No. And I mean. He's a he's a great goalkeeper. There's no question. And I think if you look at the market, it's not like that's a position you can easily upgrade without spending a ton of cash. You could spend a like you know a fortune on Kepa, or you could have Zidane obviously vetoed that deal. Um, De Gea would have been insanely expensive. Um, and who else is there that's attainable? Because it's not among well, the before, top. Before uh, Alisson joined yeah. Liverpool, he wasn't too expensive. Yeah, Alisson was probably the the one that I would circle, I guess. But um, Allison looks great, by the way. I, he's so, yeah. But, I mean, it's still, it's not like a position that's easily upgradable, is my point. Yeah. Um, Leon Stavronakis has a few points that we're going to read through. So, Leon says, um, one, 
I hate to say this and hope he can turn it around, but Marcelo's form over an extended period of time now has been a major problem. Two, for the millionth time, we need a new midfield combo. Three, Zidane needs to quit being stubborn and play our best players. Like it or not, that means Bale on the right wing. Four, Eden needs to be told to take over this team. We don't have time for him to finesse his way into leadership. Hand him the keys and tell him to get driving immediately. Five, Kubo and Rodrigo look good. Both appear to have a more refined game than Vinicius Jr. Uh, and six, Varane needs to clean up and learn to be more physical. Where do you want to start with this? Oof. Um, I guess we'll take it right, right in order. Number one, uh, Marcelo's form. He, yeah, I mean, Marcelo's preseason's been pretty inconsistent aside from which game was it? Arsenal that he looked, he just came in and was incredible, or was that Bayern Munich? It was like um, the first or second. Yeah. yeah. He, I mean, that was that was peak Marcelo there, and that's the the man we all grew to love. And unfortunately, uh, some of the other games have just been reverted back to the the horror show of last season. But I think a lot of that is systemic in the press that we talked about, um, and I, I don't know. I mean, I I'm personally, if I was building the squad this season, it would have been Mendy Regulon for me. But um, since we're giving Marcelo this this another season here, uh, he looks really fit. He looks like he's he's hungry to be back. But I, I am concerned. I won't lie. I'm concerned about his form. Um, I am too. Um, I think it's it's such a key, crucial position for Real Madrid, especially because the way they they use their wing backs and the amount that they cross and they the overloads and the amount of times they're out of position. The amount of times are called upon to defend in transition. Uh, it's a it's a hugely important position. I mean, many positions are, but you know, it does worry me, concern me a little bit. My only hope with this is that um, he looked good towards the end of last season and look at the beginning of preseason. So, I I think we'll I don't know. My hunch is that we'll see flashes of his brilliance throughout, um, but yeah. we'll also suffer a little bit with him. Um, the midfield combo. I can't really quite explain or comprehend the amount of people who thought, and I saw this a lot on social media and on Managing Madrid and other places, that all of a sudden you slot Casemiro back into this team and everything's fine again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't get that. It's like people didn't watch last season. Like, yeah. Do you think that any of that is related to one player? Fixing this schematic mess of a, <laughs> yeah. it's it's just it's not does it's not it doesn't work that way. And now I mean Ed Ed wrote about it last season in one of his columns, and I, I uh, completely agree with Leon. I think the midfield arguably was probably the piece that needed the most kind of rejuvenation. And we really haven't seen any, if anything, we've seen it get picked apart and all our depth cut out and hopefully we're adding some new pieces. Um, but I, I've, before I was more hesitant on the Pogba signing, but the more um, I look into the stats on him and everything like that, I'm, I'm all for Pogba. I, I really want to, and just the way our midfields performed after last season, I, I'd really like to see Pogba um, come to Madrid and I think he can make a, a real, a real change, but like you've talked about, Kian, it's not one player that's going to fix this. It's not Casemiro is going to fix this. It's not Pogba is going to fix this. It's, it's systemic issues. But I do think that we need a more 
athletic and Leon's talked about and more athletic physical um midfield and I think that's the profiles that Don's looking for more box-to-box type players um so I I do agree with that statement um playing our best players Zidane needs to be quit being stubborn I mean I think who the best players are can be subjective at this point and certainly Zidane's evaluation is that Bale is not among them uh with the Eden leadership thing, it is interesting because he him, Eden himself has said that you know he's not really that type of player who's like a vocal leader. Um, but in many ways, I thought you know you and I watched Chelsea regularly last season. I thought we were both impressed the fact that even despite him saying that and him despite not being a goal scorer and him despite playing in a in a really broken offensive scheme, he was he was. He essentially was a leader by default, and he did so well. So I think that is also part of the reason that you and I were so excited for his signing. Um, it's just that you know we've seen the story before of where where his role is in a system like this, and he excels still. Yeah, I think he will become the leader, especially of the attack. I think it just you can see it. He's still like gelling with his teammates. Even yeah. I mean, we we him and Benzema will have a great connection, but it's still forming. It's You can see like there's sometimes misplaced passes and just runs that aren't made that you expect to be made, and that's just gelling with your teammates. Yeah, and I mean, you can also visibly tell that, you know, he's still not... It's, I wouldn't say it's shyness, but it's still not like that, you know, mid-season or even regular season hazard where he's really just, like, taking the attack in his own hands. And Yeah. Yeah. Um, Last point, or a couple more points. Kubo and Rodrigo look good. I mean, I think we've talked about them as much as we can. Um, and Varan needs to clean up and learn to be more physical. Um, I think he has looked... I mean, he's had some heavy touches, misplaced passes in this preseason. I don't know about the physical piece. Um, I, I love the way Varan defends. I think he's a class act defender. Um, but yeah, I think the technical piece, There's there's just rust right now. Yeah, Russ is a good way of putting it. There was um there was a whole I mean against Atletico or well, he was which one? I guess it was um man, it's so easy for me to mix up these preseason games, it's crazy. Um It was against no, it was Tottenham is the one I'm I'm just looking over my notes. Where he had like so many moments where the ball um would kind of just bounce off his shin off off his like feet. Um, every time Tottenham would put a low cross in, instead of him clearing it, he would just redirect it towards Kaler, like as an attempt on goal. Um, and we saw some of that rust after the World Cup last year. Um, and hopefully that rust will fade pretty soon. Um, I don't have anything else. Do you, do you have anything else you want to talk, plug? Um, my mind just went blank. <laughs> um, no, okay. I, I don't think so well i, I was gonna do uh some quick patron shout outs so uh yeah. by the way it was really cool matt and we wish you were there but in new york um a lot of these um patrons who come who who pledge ten dollars where we read their names on the podcast a lot of them came out we we put faces oh, awesome. to them so yeah that's the best yeah it was really cool to um to meet all these great people and uh and put put faces to their names so I'm going to read this list again, patreon.com slash managing Madrid. If you're not part of this army of ours, you're going to miss out a ton of bonus content, uh, including Matt and I. We watch Real Madrid's players on loan every weekend. We review them, do a podcast just for our patrons about them to update you on how they're doing. 
Um, there's going to be post-game podcast for Champions and Copa del Rey games, mailbag only for patrons. We will still put out free, free podcasts. There's no question, one or two a week, but we'll also be doing one or two a week just on Patreon alone. And also you get different awards, um, including guaranteed responses to your questions. So shout out to these $10 plus patrons and bear with me because this is the longest list officially. And it, we say this every week, but here's another another record. Mikhail Nilsson, Frederick Sundros, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Nick DeStefane, Adam Dorsey, Frederick Rantakiro, Leon Stavronakis, Christian Gonzalez, um, Bjorn Salvador, Essa Hariri, Sergio Monleon, Ilian Zako, Yahya Ibrahim, Willie Reed, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Saad Omar, Sheikh Atiri, Oluwa Pamimo, Oludunjoy, Patrick Odayafadi, Christian Doft, Dan Berthy, Armin Gashi, Tarek Sphere, Konal Telekar, Marin Myrtle, Tyler Dixon, Raul Gutierrez, Raghav Potluri, Vicky Cohen, Gary Kohut, Sujaiwani, Pena Maridista, San Francisco, Bay Area, Brandon Stevens, Casper Moscala, Catherine Fagundo, Vinod Baratula, Zoran Bostonchich, Sway Ayala, Crystal Glass, Rafael Servia, Yihin Liang, Karen Scherer, Somanchu Singh, Brendan Powers, Rovi Tahiev, Amy L., Anthony Ernesto, Shabal Sharapa, Fabian Moreno, Varun, Bernard Kufour, Jack Edgar, Ashik Bashar, Magnus Lech, Jason Fitz, <laughs> Anton Hagberg, Solomon Ortiz. So I, I don't, I'm, that was the list. I There was a bunch of new names in there that uh, yeah. threw me off because sometimes I've memorized it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't know. I, I need to think of a new system for this. I don't know what that system is, but you guys all mean so much to us that we have to read your names because you guys have just been with us and taking this journey with us and supporting us, which is, um, you know, awesome. Thank you so much for your really support. appreciate it. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. All right, Matt. Um, been fun my friend and uh i'm sure we'll chat on a podcast at least one podcast next week or something so uh thanks for yep. joining my joining uh, the show my friend and hala marie hala marie